Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. Today I am joined by Ben Booth, who is none other than the CEO of Max Contact. So no pressure on me then. Max Contact, Ben is the CEO since 2015. I'm not going to do an introduction for you, Ben. I think that you can probably handle that one yourself. On you go. Okay, well first, go easy on me, Sean. <laughs> hey, no, so I'm Ben Booth, I'm the CEO of Max Contact. I've worked at this company in its various forms for the best part of 20 years. Um, I started off in first line support, worked my way up, and I completed a management buyout in 2020, in October 2020 now. So that's a bit of a background on me. Okay. So you started off kind of right on the front lines, is that right? It is, yeah. I started off uh, support and implementations was my role. It was a split role at the time. You did both. And I was the first employee in the business as it was back then. Okay. And so when you were on that kind of that frontline role, presumably, you know, you were dealing with support inquiries from customers and so on and so forth. So very similar, you could say, to a contact center environment in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, it's support. It's customer service at the end of the day. Though it be B2B, it's very similar. You know, you're helping people, you get an interaction. Back then it was only a call, there was, there was no, nothing else in email. And you're just trying to help them fix their problem. And we still see our support desk now as a very similar environment with similar problems. You know, first contact resolutions, getting the right query to the person that can help solve that problem the fastest, you know, with skill sets and so on. So they are very similar. They do lend themselves a lot backward and forward. And I wouldn't say I've been a contact center agent because it's a job I hold in quite high regard and feel I couldn't do that job. But I've been as close to it as you can get. That's interesting because a lot of people would say that the contact center agent or the role of the contact center agent is one that's not considered a particularly skilled role. Now, I personally don't agree with that, but keen to get your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, if you go to a contact center now, and even more so over the last few years, the the queries and the complexity of what those agents handle is very high. And they do it on a day-to-day and they have to do it with compassion. And every contact they have is usually someone... If it's customer service, that's not happy. So they're dealing with people. And they never get a happy call saying, well done, as we don't on our side as often. If you think about all the technology that's there now across all the interactions and also the expectations we have, we've got this unrealistic expectation that the person we get through to should just, you know, they're aware of our complete history within 30 seconds and why haven't you fixed my problem or listen to me? And that information might be available to them now, but they've got to get up to date and listen through it. So they're usually working on two, three different systems, they have to know where to get the information, but also that skill level is actually becoming higher and higher. It is a tough job to do. And we'll come on to it in a little bit, but I think it's worth touching on it just now. Things like automation, for example, that have taken out some of the more simple interactions or the self-serve aspect of it has also had an influence on that. I remember as a contact center agent, you know, the calls that everybody used to love was when the customer was coming through just to say, oh, yeah, I couldn't pay through the automated service. I just want to make a payment. And we were all just like, hooray. Yeah, and, and that is the use to it as well, by the way, to take away those high volume, easy jobs. You know, where's my delivery? Where's my parcel? Can I check an appointment date? And so on. That also diminishes a bit. Some of the interactions that agents get, it diminishes their value because that's actually beneath their skill level. 
And actually bringing in that automation, what it's done is that the agents are now dealing with those complex interactions that only a human can solve. And as the AI and the, everything's got more complex and clever, the, that skill level actually, when it gets through to an agent, therefore, is actually having to get higher because it's got through all that automation that people are trying to do for demand reduction. So over the next few years, that's just going to continue to, it's going to be a particularly skilled job, especially in certain industries. Yeah, no, absolutely. The same thing as you were saying before around when you yourself were in that support role, when people are getting in touch, it's because they need you for something. And generally, if they need you for something, they are probably on some kind of a time constraint as well, which means that there's an additional pressure. But you talked around kind of the focus on the solutions and wanting to make sure that you're delivering that. But then you said that you moved on to other roles. So you did some implementations, again, similar mindset there. But then you moved on to other roles before you obviously ended up as CEO position. Yeah, so we used to be a reseller. So we used to resell contact center products. So we used to be back when I was an installation engineer, early days, it was on-site, on-prem installs. So I used to go to sites a lot. I did, I've done over 500 on-site implementations in my days. So I've been on over 500 customer sites, met the clients. I get to work with the agents. I used to do the training. And you'd sit there for a week, 10 days, and you'd really get a good feel of contact centers and pain and, you know, the empathy. And, and again, the skill of the job and how hard it is. I then moved on to, I was head of support, head of implementations, and then become an ops director. But at a certain point, we decided to write our own software. So I got involved with all aspects of the business because we didn't have a development team. We had a small couple of people that do custom integrations, but then we built a development team and ultimately I became like product manager. But then also as we launched that product, got involved with the marketing, the sales, and literally every part of the business, there wasn't an area I didn't get involved with. One of the things that jumps out to me there, just from what you were saying, I suppose when you are reselling a product or when you are selling any kind of a product, when you then sit down at the table, if you like, to decide, no, we're going to make our own here, that's quite a daunting thing to sit down and start doing. But at the same time, it must be, it must be from a point of view of, you know, we've all been in that scenario where you're using something or you're doing something, you go, God, why can't it just do this? How do you go about sitting down and actually even undertaking that endeavor? The first part is we didn't want to. We actually went to go and find another product to resell. And I went to the suppliers and spent up two weeks on site where they trained me on their products. And ultimately, that's where we landed still. We still landed at the product saying, but why does it work that way? Why does it not do this? And you know, we've worked in this industry a long time. And what we wanted to be was our master of our own destinies. And it was that that gave us the decision and confidence to build our own product. And then, of course, you sat there and you're going, right, well, we've never done this before. What does it entail? But yeah, we wanted to say our original tagline was work as expected. If it didn't work as expected and we sat there with a client where they turned around and said, but I feel it should do this, and we sat there and went, we completely agree. We had the, the power to change that and fix it. Whereas with the vendors, when we were working with them, we were going back saying we wanted to work this way and the why, and it was completely feasible. In fact, it made sense. And we just get, but that's not the way it works. So it's a feature request. Here's a bill. And that's what we were getting. So we wanted to be the control of our destiny. And we also wanted to work a different way with our clients. And we wanted them to be part of that journey and development roadmap on how a product should work. It allowed us to do that when we went along by ourselves. 
And so in striking out and kind of being one of the new kids on the block then, I know that much of the investment, if you like, not financial, but the investment, the buy into the idea and the concept came from the fact that the conversations and the relationships that had been built up through that period of time with those clients meant that they were then engaged and prepared to say, yeah, we know that this is a, for want of a better phrase, a startup, but that there is a roadmap here that is going to be incrementally kind of bought into and improved over time. And I guess that's where the having the relationship whereby people do know that they can just pick up the phone is invaluable in that sense. Yeah, and it, even in the early days, it still is now. It's a busy market. There's a lot of competition out there in contact center space. And still the number one reason we retain and we buy clients is because they they can do that. They're part of that journey and we help them solve problems. And whether it be a BPO that needs something to win a new campaign for themselves or one of our clients who's using the system has gone from pure voice to digital to automation and PCI and workforce management, they're on that journey with us and they know they can give us the feedback for the direction their business is going and we will listen. And never more than in the last two years as people's businesses changed. And a lot of companies have realized that they're only as agile as their suppliers. And if you're not with an agile supplier, so if you're with a big behemoth of a company that turns like a tanker, actually that affects the agility of their business. So picking up the phone and having those feedback loops with clients and actually being able to respond and react to them is as important now as it was when we had those relationships in the start of when clients moved to us from our original reseller business. The other thing that I wanted to touch on before we kind of move on a little bit is that because you've been through, so the way that I see it is there are two types of CEO broadly. You've got the CEO such as yourself who has been through the journey of every role to get to the position of CEO. And you've got the other type of CEO who is, for want of a better phrase, and certainly not in a demeaning way, a career CEO. They've just been CEO and that's what they do and that is their skill set. I know you can only speak to this from one side of that coin, but What's your experience now as CEO, having gone through that journey? No doubt it will have filtered the way in which you view things, but in terms of seeing the industry and all the rest of it, do you see that as being kind of one of the key advantages that you've perhaps got? I think it was tough on that because it works both ways. I mean, I know CEOs that, I mean, you still have had to work through up to become a CEO, just not necessarily in the industry or the business that you may now be a CEO of. I do think working up gives uh, where we are as a business and what we're trying to achieve gives a lot of understanding and empathy of our clients, their users, and specifically the agents again. I would say most people don't understand, and I'd really have a big advocate of agents and their experience of our products and making their lives better and having an easier experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And just that understanding when we're making decisions and when you speak to clients and you know we're deciding on our roadmap and looking out at the industry and the direction it's going, it, that does make it easier. But CEOs... The career CEOs, I mean, half chairs a career CEO. He, he, he's a typically a turnaround CEO, stays two to three years and moves on, which is, is common. They also have unique ways of looking at things because they're not as tied to the industry so they can take that holistic few step back. So I think it has its pros and cons, but I think if you're aware of them and you're not getting sucked in and you can take that step back, then it absolutely could be of great benefit. One last one then to follow that up. So because you've been in right from day one, and for want of a better phrase, you've been in right from the front lines on day one. Do you, how easy is it for you sometimes to actually be able to objectively step back and go, no, actually, I need to step back from this and look at it in a different way? Is that difficult to do at times? 
I'm getting better at it. I will say it was. There's that period. I think everyone, not just me, goes through this in their career as they progress, be it CEO or becoming manager. So especially from an engineering background, where you still like doing the doing. You like fixing things. I like fixing things. I love solving problems. And that transition of being able to go, no, actually, it's about the team, growth, the people, seeing them fix and guiding and, and building a company that can scale, which then becomes a priority as you go through that growth period and how you get through that scale of a business. So there was a definitely a difficult period there where I was aware I was doing it and breaking that cycle was hard. I'm getting better. I'm not perfect at it. I'm never saying perfect to everything and I'm I'm always learning, but it has become easier. And a lot of that is to do with the people around you as well. And it's about trusting them and letting them make their mistakes and learn their lessons. I'd say one I always tell people one of the great benefits I did have was I don't believe in failure. But I've learned a lot of lessons, but I was given the opportunity to learn those lessons. And I need to do the same with my staff and my team and allow them to progress in the same way I did. Excellent. I'm going to completely change direction here. <laughs> 180. Go for it. Yeah, what complete 180. Complete 180. That's has answered all of the questions that everyone could possibly have about a CEO. So it's time to completely switch gears as we do. I want to talk about the industry. Now, I've had a bit of insight into an article that will be coming out in the next year that you've been involved or that is an interview with yourself. And there's a couple of points that I've picked up on that I just wanted to I wanted to dig into a little and I'll start off with one of the quotes which is you've said with flexible working and working from home here to stay we'll see more contact centers bringing in gig economy style shifts now when I read that one I didn't feel positive about it because gig economy has negative connotations for a lot of people so I wonder if you could just expand on that a little bit what you mean there yeah, and I agree with that as well. It can have a negative, but actually it's also can be a positive for certain industries. And we're seeing it across sectors where one of the common problems and reason we have workforce management tools is the, the staffing shifts for peaks and troughs. But we've already seen it at our contact centres where you're allowing people who can't leave home, you know, disability disabled, single mums, that can work the hours they want to work to help with their financial situations. They're not having to travel to and from work to do a two-hour, three-hour shift. Whereas actually this remote working allows them to jump on in a contact center and do two, three hours work without interrupting their day too much. And it makes it worthwhile. So that's benefit to the contact centers because it allows them to manage those peaks and troughs more effectively, more cost efficiently, but gives it back the other way as well. So it's not the, the gig economy where it's being abused. It is the good reason. And it's that flexibility now that's available to people that's so beneficial. Okay. Yeah, in that context, I appreciate where you're coming from in that one, and I can see that working well. We'll circle back around to that one with another topic a bit later on if we have the time. You then go on to talk about unified solutions. So you say that they'll increasingly allow contact centers to better manage their resources. More contact centers will look to combine voice, email, and web chat, as well as making sure that additional tools such as workflow automation, workforce management, and speech analytics are integrated into their systems. Now, I want to unpick this one quite a bit, and it seems like that's really like key focus at the moment. Even from likes of Contact Babel, their research, you know, 99% of contact centers expect some of their agents to be remote working, and 98% expect that AI will be important to their contact center. Web chat usage has risen 58% since 2019. And the average cost of an inbound call has £5.42, 35% more than email, 78% more than web chat. So, you know, all of the stars are aligning, it seems, in the industry at the moment with what's going on in the economy, post-pandemic world, everything. So thinking about it from the customer experience point of view, automation is a force for good. 
That's a statement. Automation can be a force for good in the contact center. Can be. <laughs> it can be. You can take a very simple robotic, literally robotic task, and you can automate that. And that's good. However, one of the themes that's come through in these conversations over the last few weeks is automation can also be a source of frustration. Where's the balance there from your point of view? And what do you think are the key areas that do deserve that focus when it comes to things like automation? There's a couple of areas. I mean, there's a study, I forget who did it actually, but there's a study of how the clients view a contact centre, so customer experience versus the CEO of a contact centre as an example. And the first one that is always up for a tackle is are you looking to reduce costs or improve customer experience? And the customer experience to automation absolutely can go down, but the cost of running the contact centre reduces and vice versa, because if everything's a human interaction, it's too expensive. But I've also said before that everything should be a human interaction because it devalues and demotivates the humans when it's repetitive, but, you know, low-skilled tasks. And that's what should be automated away. There's certain experiences, and we all use contact centres or automation. Your council tax, it's automated online now. You go through an IVR, and it's a better experience. I don't have to queue. I don't have to wait to speak to someone for something I can do in 30 seconds to a minute. And that is exactly where the automation should be done. Workflows to trigger tasks and activities just to make sure things are happening. But on the flip side of that, if a client has a complex task, and the data should be there. And this is another key thing when we talk about speech analytics and BI and analytics is that in general, is if you're seeing lots of drop-off points through a workflow or an automated task or procedure, then one, it needs looking at and changing, or two, it might need removing and it's not possible eventually. And accept that, that that is a task that right now has to go through to a user because what you're actually looking to do is reduce cost not increase customer experience at that point. And it's accepting which one you're trying to do. And if you're trying to do both, you have to be aware that sometimes they're going to conflict. But our automation is actually, I say it's vital in the contact center, but we do see it used and overused in some places where it actually generates the negative or bad experience. And you end up at a live person anyway, but you end up with a live person with someone who's even more aggravated, annoyed, and has a worse customer experience. So it needs looking at imbalance for me. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree in, yeah, I agree with you on that one. I sense a butt. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it's difficult because I'm going to tie it into my other comment that I'm going to bring in. We will see more and more contact centers. This is from you. We will see more and more contact centers prioritizing digital interactions, especially for straightforward customer interactions as agents can handle multiple web chats and emails at once and balance a range of customer queries. So that's dovetailing very nicely against what you've just been kind of detailing and the two things do go hand in hand. That doesn't seem to be what happens for many areas of the contact center. That doesn't seem to be the reality of where we are. And I'll take the recent webinar that happened regarding vulnerability. Many customers are saying that actually they feel like they're being foisted off. It's a rotating door, get them in, resolve the issue, get them off and just move on, move on, move on. Now that has two impacts from my point of view. You've got number one, there's three in fact. I'll tackle them one at a time if I can remember them. Number one, you've got meet the customer where they are was the original principle with multi-channel. However, what I've seen is there are cases and scenarios whereby you can't find a phone number for a company. And so again, it feels like there's this balance between offering the channel where the customer is as appropriate 
but also ensuring that the customer still has the option to move to a different channel at their convenience. And it doesn't feel like we've got that balance there as an industry, not just you know within a particular client base or a sector. I mean, the industry doesn't feel like they're there yet. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, and this is, I've been frustrated the same thing. I was looking for a phone number, trying to find a phone number for Amazon. You, you actually, it's very hard to find on their website. You can go through their knowledge base pretty fast, but that hasn't got the answer. It's actually quite hard to contact them and they, they push down web chat. And to be fair, their web chat's very good. But it's that same thing. It's, it's contact centers not meeting you where you want to be. They're now trying to force you down the channel because it's cheaper for them. And that's the customer experience versus cost problem. But yeah, I do agree with the meeting. Look, cost for interaction is higher. Staffing, you know, is an issue at the moment. There isn't a contact centre we speak to who's not struggling to bring on more staff. And what we've seen in the pandemic is people working from home, actually, contacts and interactions to contact centres have actually gone up 30%. Because where you used to put off an interaction with sorting a problem out because you were at work and it was seen as not acceptable to contact your bank or whatever in working hours. Actually, now you sat at home. So taking 20 minutes at 11 o'clock to sort out a banking inquiry, now it's done. So... The whole industry has changed. The peaks and troughs at 1 o'clock, 6 o'clock and before 9am have moved as well. And it's actually a higher staffing level throughout. So all these things have changed and what contact centres have reacted to, because they're roughly down across the industry, 20% on staff. That's what we've seen across our entire client base. And I've spoke to others and they're the same. So you're up 30% on interactions. You're down 20% on resources. What do you do? But you're trying to maintain a higher customer experience. Also, you know, understanding the data, the training, and even as simple as, you know, when you making sure the interactions get through to the right people. And again, the one bit we haven't spoke about here when you said is that desire agents come in and, you know, they need to get rid of the interaction. Well, that actually comes around from KPIs and targeting. And I had this conversation the other day about average handle time. Is it a good metric? It absolutely is 100% a good metric but not in isolation. And if your whole goal is to, I'm targeting you, Sean McIver, on average handle time, and your target on two minutes, then your goal is not to provide good customer experience. And actually, what you should also be looking at is the entire journey handle time of that client, not just you as an individual. Because if they now come back in, and then they get escalated and they have to come back in again, actually, the overall handle time for that initial case or task, whatever you want to refer it as, usually is considerably longer if you'd have just spent a bit of extra time in the first instance and help them solve it out properly. And there's a balance there across all these different metrics. And there's definitely been a theme coming through within the conversation that we've had and that I've had previously in the series, which is around this employee experience and the role within the contact centre. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm normally the one who's prompting it, but it's because it's thematic. We've got the great resignation. We've got people questioning their roles within the industry following the pandemic. And now as we go into the economy, the way that it is at the moment. So there's an awful lot of pressure on that role as you correctly identified earlier on in the conversation, it's a highly skilled role for the vast majority of users. But you've got this conflict that seems to be between the customer experience, wanting to deliver that and wanting to make sure that the customer has the right experience covering vulnerability and everything. It touches every industry is that customer experience and utilizing things like automation as a force for good and all the rest of it. You've then got the business demands. And again, let's not shy away from this. Cost of energy, cost of heating an office, for example, at the moment is very, very high. You've got salaries are very, very high. You've got challenges in retention. We know that recruitment costs are astronomical as well. So you've got these two 
what come across as opposing forces. And you've got the poor user, you know, me, agent, stuck in the middle with KPIs, metrics, and, and feeling that pressure, I've got to get this person off of this call. I've got to get through this interaction. I've got to get the answer to the customer and are having real trouble controlling this interaction, skilled as they may be. On top of that, for many who are remote working, you've got them working in isolation. And over all of that, the people I've spoken to across the board, there's nobody in the industry who's saying, yeah, we're okay with that. No, no one is saying that that is an okay scenario to be in. And there seems a genuine desire by companies to create a fulfilling role within a rewarding workplace. I suppose from your point of view, what thing or things are we missing? That's a tough one. It's, I wouldn't say we're missing. I think everyone's aware of the problems. I mean, you've just mentioned it, it comes up regularly on the calls, the podcast show, and I speak about this topic probably more than any other topic. But we've got to accept the fact we've gone through the biggest shift any of us seen in this industry in the last 20 plus years, certainly since I've been working in it. And we're catching up. And not only are we catching up, we're catching up with small things that shouldn't be neglected. You know, we used to see agent onboarding used to be a two-week training course in a classroom with a group of other people. Now what we're seeing is you get a video for two hours and you expect it to go. And with the resignation of the staff issue we had, a lot of skilled workers were left, which put more pressure on the the remaining skill work as well, we were getting people up to speed. And we're seeing, because of that pressure of solving it in time, the cycle's not breaking where there's, the time is being allocated for learning and development of the staff as well. And it is a massive change and no one's got an answer to this. I mean, the, the technology can help and the technology is there, but then it's typically what you see is it, it's, it's not a silver bullet. If anything, if you do implement that technology wrong, it can have an adverse effect. We're all going through this learning and I think the biggest thing is for me is accepting that's where we are as an industry and actually going through this learning, sharing everyone's experiences, making sure that we're putting the people at the forefront and not ignoring things like training, development and listening to the staff. When we're looking at technology and solutions and we're trying new things, that feedback loop of is it working, don't just put it in and think it's, gonna, it's working. The feedback loop of is it working, is it doing the job we set out to do, what does success look like for this chatbot, for this conversational AI? looking at the data we've got and just actually we're having to go through that learning process. Everyone is, us as a vendor, the clients are having to go through it, but recognising where we are and seeing what works. But again, I would say keeping people at the forefront because that, in all the talks I've had, that's the part that gets dropped the fastest on what we do with our people, allowing them to have adequate breaks, allowing them to speak. You mentioned working from home. If anyone's ever been in a contact centre, it's usually vibrant, there's energy, you're sat next to your friend on one side and the other, there's games, the music's going. All of a sudden, you're at home on a kitchen table and that's it. Allowing them to have time to speak to people around the business and get to know people, that's been lost. We need to go through this learning together as an industry. It is tough, there's no silver bullet. Anyone saying there is is lying, but accepting this is where it is and there's been a, a paramount shift across the whole industry. I think it's worth just mentioning, we experienced that internally through the pandemic. I remember when I was working from home and I was in Salford at the time. And, you know, there were a long period of time where the only calls that we would have would be work calls about resolving an issue and moving on and moving on and moving on. And I remember it was a while before I actually kind of started to get to know people, whereas in the office environment, you're interacting with people at the water cooler, you have those water cooler moments, you're in the kitchen, even just hearing conversations happening elsewhere, you don't hear that 
when you are working from home. And it does take that extra effort to make sure that you are proactively engaging and proactively being engaged. It's understanding where you add value. Who wants to come to work and realise any any industry, and like you said, we went through this, you know, we've openly admitted we doubled in staff in a pandemic remotely as we bought out the existing owners. So we were changing the culture. We doubled our staff in workforce and we did it in a remote environment, which we'd never done before. And it was tough. It was tough. But who wants to come to work not knowing where they add value? I mean, when you're an agent, you sat on the phone all day, you know, you bought into that business. Do you know where you're adding value? Do you understand how you're helping the people you're speaking to and the impact you can have on their lives as well? Because you, you can. Some of the contact centers we have make, make a real difference. And how are you doing that with your staff? Is it, you send them a pack that they read? Is that it? That's not going to do it. And it's accepting the fact that an email isn't going to do it. And you need to get to know to people and feel part of the business as well. And again, I just keep saying that's the part that gets neglected. And if you look at from when you joined us, from when we started and we got it wrong, onboarding staff in a remote work environment, to what we do now is completely different because we've gone through that learning. Absolutely. I'm conscious of time. So I'm going to move on very quickly. So we've as you've said, we've grown as a business and we're now at a point whereby we have a good base of staff. What does what does next year look like at a headline level? Great, to be honest. I'm actually looking forward to next year. We've had two years of, I think everyone has, global issue after global issue. We've, we've done very well through that period and proud, immensely proud of the company during that period, which has been a very difficult time. And any business that's kept the staff, we didn't do any furlough or anything like that, should be proud as well. But next year, we are exiting this year where every single department is in a better place. We have brought some brilliant staff into the business. The team is amazing. And we're on target, even exiting this year, to set ourselves up to have a record year next year across all functions of the business, not just sales. So I'm really excited about what we're going to produce next year and what the team's going to deliver. Excellent. So on that note, Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate your time today. It's been a really interesting conversation, as I knew it would be. For everyone who's listening, thank you very much for joining us for another episode. Hopefully, if I still have a job, I'll catch you all next time. We'll find out shortly, I guess. But yeah, all things being equal, here's to more conversations. Thank you very much. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.